This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Sunday, June 28, 2020. On this day in 1960, dictator Fidel Castro began seizing control of American oil refineries in Cuba. The incident caused the relationship between the United States and Cuba to deteriorate beyond repair for decades. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering dictator Fidel Castro's hostile takeover of American oil refineries in Cuba. Let's go back to June 28, 1960, in Santiago de Cuba. Fidel Castro reportedly signed a document threatening to seize the foreign-owned oil refineries if certain demands were not met. It was a sign of the times, the Cold War between the United States, the Soviet Union, and Cuba was growing more volatile by the day. By the following morning, as 33-year-old American Clifford Drake Jr. arrived for work at the Texaco oil refinery in Santiago de Cuba, there was a tension in the air. He sipped his coffee and watched his crew work. In the months prior, the U.S. advised Drake to downsize the number of American employees in the refinery, anticipating a Cuban takeover at some point. Armored militiamen marched in, followed by members of Cuba's National Institute of Petroleum. Drake asked the men what was going on. The Cuban Institute of Petroleum representatives demanded Drake and Texaco accept and process between 20,000 and 25,000 barrels of oil from the Soviet Union. Following his own orders from the United States government, Drake refused. They would not do business with the USSR. The petroleum reps asked one more time, saying they had many of the oil barrels with them, Texaco could start processing right now and appease Fidel Castro. Drake stood his ground and refused. The Cuban Institute of Petroleum fired Drake and escorted him out of the building. The armed militia removed anyone who protested as they took control of the refinery. The Institute members declared that the facility, its resources, and operations were now owned by Cuba's Cuba Petroleo, as ordered by Fidel Castro. In his car, Drake tuned the radio to the Cuban government station. A voice announced that the Texaco, Shell, and Standard Oil refineries would all soon be under Cuban control after refusing to process Soviet soil. The country canceled all exclusive contracts between local gas stations, retailers, and foreign oil companies. The government radio issued a warning to other American companies. If they similarly refused to comply with Cuban government directives, they too would be seized. 
Later that night, Drake watched the news. He saw reports of the U.S. State Department condemning the expropriation, calling it Castro's attempt to destroy Cuba's traditional investment and trade relations with the rest of the world. The U.S. considered the Cuban nationalization of the oil refineries to be a sizable theft. At the time, the Texaco, Shell, and Standard Oil refineries had a total of about $65 million held in the Cuban National Bank. Over 50 million of that figure belonged to Texaco and Standard Oil. Neither Cuba nor Castro offered to compensate the U.S. and the American oil companies for this loss. And it wouldn't take the United States long to retaliate. Next, we'll look at how this incident damaged the U.S. and Cuba's relationship for decades. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On June 28, 1960, Cuban Prime Minister Fidel Castro began seizing control of the Texaco, Shell, and Standard Oil refineries that operated in his country. Going forward, the nation of Cuba owned and operated the facilities, which were used to process large amounts of crude oil from the Soviet Union. The egregious incident raised tensions between the U.S., Cuba, and the USSR during the Cold War. The U.S. considered the incident to be a theft of the refineries and resources worth over $60 million. So, five days later, on July 3, 1960, the United States retaliated by cutting its Cuban sugar quota. The U.S. wanted to stunt Cuba's economy by leaving 700,000 tons of sugar, Cuba's main export, without a buyer. In response, Castro said, They will take away our quota pound by pound, and we will take away their sugar mills one by one. Castro did just that nationalizing the 36 sugar mills, along with utility companies, railways, and banks by the close of 1960. In response, the United States cut off all of its remaining ties with Cuba, banning all exports to the country, aside from humanitarian aid, like food and medicine, on October 19, 1960. Cuba moved on from the loss of U.S. trade quickly, finding new communist allies and buyers for its sugar, the Soviet Union and China. The USSR bought the sugar supply that the U.S. no longer wanted and imported many essential goods to Cuba. From the early 1960s until the 1990s, Cuba received approximately $6 billion annually in economic assistance from the Soviet Union, and the Cuban refineries continued to process Soviet oil. 
But when the USSR was on the brink of collapse in 1990, the bloc was no longer able to financially support its socialist ally and cut ties with Cuba. The loss of Soviet support and subsidies caused Cuba's economy to fall into a severe recession. Food, milk, and meat were scarce. With no more Soviet oil coming in, there was very little gas to power homes and cars. Castro called Cuba's dire downturn a special period in a time of peace. The U.S. offered aid, but only if Cuba pledged to become a democracy. Castro refused. As a result, Congress passed legislation and tightened restrictions on its Cuban embargo in order to try and force the collapse of Castro's reign. In 1996, the Helms-Burton Act stated that American businesses couldn't trade with foreign entities that worked with Cuba. Every year since then, the United Nations General Assembly voted in favor of ending the American embargo against Cuba. However, the trade embargo is still in effect today. However, the policy has been relaxed at times. Castro resigned as president of Cuba in 2008 due to illness, appointing his brother Raul as his successor. A year later, President Barack Obama loosened U.S. restrictions, allowing Americans to travel to Cuba for religious and educational purposes. Cuban Americans were allowed to travel freely to the country and send money to their families. Despite the easing of some restrictions, there is still tension between the United States and Cuba regarding the 1960 refinery takeover. For decades, U.S. presidents didn't let American companies sue Cuban enterprises for profiting off the use of its former property. American presidents didn't want to cause any conflict with their allies in the European Union, which did not approve of this option. But in an attempt to further weaken Cuba's struggling economy, President Donald Trump enacted a provision of the Helms-Burton Act to allow lawsuits in May 2019. Since then, 26 companies have filed lawsuits against Cuban entities, including American Airlines, Visa, MasterCard, Amazon, Travelocity, and Expedia. Most notably, ExxonMobil, formerly known as Standard Oil, filed a $280 million lawsuit seeking compensation for the 1960 refinery takeover. The oil company accused Cuba Petroleo and the Cuban Export-Import Corporation of profiting off its stolen property. The amount of money sought would be compensation for the facility and resources, and includes six decades of interest. A spokesperson for Cuba Petroleo called the lawsuit a further attempt to damage our national economy through illegal means. The company claims that it has defended itself from similar lawsuits and plans to defend itself in court when the time comes. As of March 2020, the lawsuit is still pending. It remains to be seen if this decades-old debt will ever be settled.
Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. If you're interested in learning more about Fidel Castro's regime, check out the ParCast original, Dictators. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Mallory Cara, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa Richardson